Welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of That Creative Life. Today, we have Kenzie from Morning Brew on the pod, and I'm so excited to chat because if you're a member of the Twitter Twitterverse, for some reason, newsletters, Substack, all the rage and it's great because as a video creator I feel like we, we've had our moment and now writers I think are having a really great moment right now. So Morning Brew is doing a lot of cool stuff and Kenzie I'll let you kick things off and just let the audience know about Morning Brew and then we'll get into you and the future of content and all the things. So awesome. welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat and to uh, talk about Morning Brew. Uh, like you said, newsletters are definitely having a moment. I hope that we're not taking any of the the limelight away from video creators because video is definitely <laughs> was my first love. I was a, a broadcast nerd in college. That was how I got started in journalism. So I still have a soft spot for video for sure. But I have loved working for a newsletter company. I uh, started at Morning Brew about two years ago, which in the lifetime of a five-year company is <laughs> quite some time to spend with the company. Um, I was employee number five when I started. Now we are wow. close in on 50 people. So the company has grown a ton in the last two years. We have gone from a couple hundred thousand newsletter subscribers to two plus million newsletter subscribers on our main daily newsletter, which is a business newsletter that covers all of the business news you need to know in a fun and engaging and informative way. Uh, I started writing that. That was how I got started at Morning Brew. And then as we added new products, a podcast came pretty shortly after that. And so now I focus mostly on our podcast work. So I host our business casual podcast, which is a twice weekly interview show uh, that takes on a lot of the topics that we take on in the newsletter, just a little more in depth with a little more context and color and uh, some fun along the way. Hopefully we try to, to include some laughs and have really cool and interesting people that our listeners maybe have never heard of, which has been awesome. Um, but it's been great to see the growth of the newsletter community. It really has been I a renaissance it. as we're calling it. Yeah. Well, and, and people like you and I know there's similar newsletters that cover business or more. I think everyone has a really good niche. And so I have about three or four newsletters that I feel like if, you know, I read those every other day, I'm in the know. It's my own personal feed of business and, and all the things I need to know. So it makes me feel informed without having to, Twitter will probably be mentioned a lot in this podcast, but without scrolling on Twitter every day, all day, because sometimes when you have that infinite feed, you feel like you're being educated and informed, but then you step back and you're like, wow, right. what, what did I just consume? So I think for me personally, that's what newsletters has kind of filled is I don't watch the news. Yeah. You know, I don't have cable. I don't have CNN or anything. So, or uh, Squawk Box. Is that CNBC? <laughs> what is, what do the business people watch out there? <laughs> yeah, I think it's Squawk Box. Get some yeah. joke in action in there. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, but so it's really filled that that void for me, and it's been super helpful. So for people who maybe, you know, have never had a morning brew newsletter, how does it break down? I know, you know, you got the top moving stocks, um, but then there's also some some business stories. How, yeah. how long are the newsletters? You're putting them out every single day. 
Yes, we, we do seven days a week. Um, and we've added on a ton of other newsletters. I think at this point we send something like 17 newsletters a week um, with wow. our industry-specific newsletters as well. But our, our baby, the original Morning Brew newsletter, is, like you said, has the market moves at the top, uh, just the big indexes and some other commodities. We've got some big macro bullet points right at the top. And then we dive right into the business and finance and econ news worth knowing. So our top story is always about 300 or so words at its longest. Uh, and to us, that's the most compelling story of the day that people need to know about to be informed. And then we have usually four, sometimes five, usually four other shorter stories that are roughly 170 words. And we try really hard to make sure we are representing the entire economy, not just the sexy companies like the Googles and the Facebooks. We want to make sure people are educated about Fed policy and the auto industry alongside the cooler, sexier social media companies as well. Um, so we have that, then some five or six bullet points about other news that's going on that's maybe important, but not quite as important as the big stories of the day. And then at the bottom, we just kind of let it rip and have some fun and uh, focus on lifestyle stuff and know this and you'll be smarter or this is a great productivity hack and things like that at the bottom that's really fun. And a lot of it is sourced from our writers just being incredibly online people. <laughs> we are constantly scouring the internet and um, looking for great recommendations to give our readers. Um, and it's it's fun. I think that you usually can get through the newsletter in under five minutes as at a, a normal reading pace. And you get kind of everything. You know, you get a little taste of everything. Um, you have some fun, hopefully, while you're doing it. We try to write in a way that feels topical and relevant for people who are in their 20s and 30s or the modern business professional who want to have some fun, but also be really well informed and make sure that they're making the right decisions when they're going to their jobs or when they're trying to get that interview or even when they're just talking to their friends. Mm -hmm. So with all that context with Morning Brew, I would love to jump in um, to, you know, newsletters as a whole, writing, the business landscape, because as you said, you, uh, you're the host of uh, y'all's podcast, which is really, really great. You guys have had some great interviews on that. And just the larger landscape of people who are younger in your 20s, maybe early 30s that, like me, might not have the, like the same infrastructure as our parents around us to get business information. And we're learning about stocks and index funds and all those things for the first time. I'm excited to talk about all of that. And so what do you think the, the, the kids these days, <laughs> the 20-year-olds, where do you think is the biggest gap of like knowledge uh, when it comes to business, when it comes to stock market, is that is that probably a lot of y'all's inspiration, right? Meeting right. meeting the people where we are. Yeah, for sure. I think that you know, in general, my biggest gripe with the finance media industry right now is that we have stereotyped what it means to be financially literate so terribly such mm. that no one feels like they can actually participate in the conversation anymore unless you have an MBA or you have an investment banking job. And that's just not how it is. The business world impacts every single one of us every single day, even if you don't think that you are a business person. If you go out and buy a toothbrush at CVS, you're contributing to the economy in some capacity. So this is something that really does affect everybody. And I think the the great dilemma of our time is that business news isn't accessible. People just feel like if they don't understand what the Dow Jones is or, you know, if they think it's like who is he? You know, like that's that's not doing <laughs> right. any of us any favors. And I think that the media world has definitely contributed to that problem a lot. We have this um, chip on our shoulder that, you know, I 
cut my teeth covering Wall Street, so I'm not going to make this accessible for anybody because I had to work my ass off to get there. And that's just not fair. Um, and I think that is is the biggest, you know, one of our biggest parts of our mission is let's make this fun. Let's make this interesting and make sure we're not, you know, we're not dumbing it down for people. We're not being condescending, but we're just giving people information that they need to be well informed. Um, and, you know, I, I think that probably is the biggest gap is that there doesn't need to be one, um, but mm-hmm. there is one that persists. And it's kind of disheartening sometimes, but I think there are a lot of startups and newsletters and, and podcasts that are out there trying to solve for that gap. So what do you think is the biggest misconception of, you know, I guess we're here in New York, we have Wall Street, we have the Wall Street bros. It's not as prevalent in these times, you know, we're all working from home. So there is a feeling where you can do anything from wherever you are. But New York City is a it's generally I feel like a a finance hub, right? Right. So I feel it when I'm here. I have friends who are in the industry. Um, But what do you think is a big misconception about that industry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like that that the industry itself exists at all is such (laughs) a letdown, right? You know, like I am somebody who has covered markets extensively. I have only really had jobs in media covering finance and the stock market and the economy. And I'm not that, you know, like I still like to chill out and like watch Netflix on the weekends and like drink beers with my friends. You know, I'm not like putting on my banker vest and going to Midtown every day. Right, right. It doesn't, we don't have to be those stereotypes that we see on TV and they definitely exist a thousand percent, Mm -hmm. but that's not everybody. Um, And I think, you know, with Morning Brew and, and Business Casual too, we are trying really hard to kind of get rid of that because- Hustle porn is terrible for everybody. And I think that's a bi-coastal problem. It's not just a New York thing. Um, But the idea that you have to be working 100 hours a week and wearing your banker bro vest to actually be successful in the business world is totally ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. So what about your journey? You said, you know, you're on broadcast. You now do a podcast. You've, you know, written. uh, You you did write some of the pieces in the newsletter before? Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I spent about a year and a half writing the newsletter just for uh, the Morning Brew newsletter. Now right. we're actually starting a newsletter to go with the podcast. So oh my gosh, I'm back I love in the it. newsletter So very game. multifaceted. Yeah, we're all I mean, about what, that multimedia approach. Yeah. So what has been your journey from video to writing to podcasting? What do you find that you personally love and what you're excited about now? Yeah, I actually started my first broadcast when I was in the fifth grade, um, my school, you know, my school I had like a, a broadcast news show. Um, and I have to be honest, I did it because my sister told me to, my older sister did. And luckily I loved it. Uh, and from then on, I was pretty intent on being a TV news anchor. That was always my dream job. By the time I got to college, I realized that there is a whole world of media out there that's not just moving to the middle of nowhere in Mississippi and reading the news on the weekend. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I could do a lot more and I could impact a lot more people covering business. Um, It was kind of happenstance that I ended up being a business journalism major. I just took a class that I really loved and got super into the econ side of things. Um, And then I was like, wow, you really nailed it with your job (laughs) coinciding with your college degree. I know it never Usually that doesn't happen. I was an EE major who dropped out three and a half years. Ah, There we go. Yeah, I know. I, I always say that I'm probably like the smallest sample group of people who actually use their major, but I I do it. It's awesome. Um, But yeah, I I started my first year out of college at the street working for Jim Cramer. So I have have gotten kind of um, a view of both the more traditional media company that was literally older than I was when they hired me um, and then the media startup to to kind of run the full spectrum of what the finance media world is like. Mm -hmm. I spent about a year at the street, covered stocks, was 
pumping out stories about the market. Um, and because I was the youngest employee, they told me to cover crypto and cannabis as well. <laughs> so love it. I really got a little taste of everything. It was a pretty small editorial team. So I got to do a ton and write a ton and meet a lot of people, but eventually was craving a little bit more creativity, uh, wanted to do something where I felt like I could take ownership over a product and do what I love to do, which was to write um, without having to follow a specific formula. So mm. Morning Brew approached me. I loved it. I had already subscribed to the newsletter. I was familiar with the product and things really worked out from there. And I've been here ever since. Um, but yeah, I started on the newsletter and it was awesome to be able to to write creatively, to put jokes in my <laughs> stories and still feel like I was giving people something that was really improving their day or helping them be more informed. So you're saying there's room for jokes when talking about finance? There is, believe wow. it or not. Little known fact. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you you drop, you know, Jim Cramer, that show is so iconic, but at the same time, it's kind of a meme in itself. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like you can't just drop that and give us a little dirt. Like, how was that? He is I mean, a walking what was that meme. Like? He is a walking meme. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, it's so funny. I was flying from LA to New York once and the characters you have on those flights are so fun. And I actually sat right behind Jim Cramer and he had his sunglasses on the entire time. Yeah. And I'm the type of person that I don't bother people, but it's just fun. I love IDing people. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's Jim Cramer. This is hilarious. <laughs> bye, and he had bye, his bye. sunglasses <laughs> yeah. on the whole time like chilling in first class it was, yeah. it was it was funny yeah he was awesome um I actually worked when I started there because it was my first job out of college I was like I will do literally anything you want me to mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so I worked the early shift that was basically like 6 a.m I would be in at the office and um wow. it would always basically just be me and Jim and he walked in 6 a.m nobody's there it's still dark outside walks in just screaming every day like he actually is like that in person oh and uh it was it was fun he uh he's an interesting character <laughs> so that's good to know that that is him yeah it, he's genuine you know a lot of people say it's an act but if it is he's <laughs> acting 24 <24/7. laughs> 7 right right so I imagine that you learned a lot being in that environment was it were you, like was there a lot of collaboration happening or was it really you and maybe a team of writers that would kind of form the stories talk ideas and then you hand them over how how is that kind of like traditional yeah video broadcast landscape like so when I started I was mostly just doing breaking news a lot less enterprise work which meant that I was kind of beholden to the market. I would walk in having no idea how many stories I would be writing that day. But we were at that point in the company's lifetime trying to compete with like the Bloomberg terminals of the world, which Mm -hmm. is not a game that anybody should play right now. You know, we were just didn't have the money, didn't have the resources, didn't have the people. And um, trying to keep up with that breaking news cycle was frankly exhausting. I made it pretty clear that I wanted to go back into video when I was there, um, and I loved the idea of more enterprise video reporting where I could pitch a story and really let it breathe and give it some context and flesh it out to you know a, a five or ten minute video piece that would actually be really important and not just like you know Tesla stock moved three percent today and here's why. Right. Um, so I got more into the video the longer I was there, and then. When I came to Morning Brew, essentially, they they had the interview with me. I was like, I loved writing. I want to keep writing. But if you ever do video or, or anything multimedia, I hope that I will be in that conversation. Um, and luckily, I was. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. With, with those settings, it's so fast. And I think with tech and being a tech YouTuber, for me, I'm constantly getting pulled in with, what's the new phone? What's the new computer? It's always 
it, it feels like you're drinking out of a fire hose right. and, and it's so hard to determine what to cover. And I can imagine with having a newsletter every day, it's very, it's very similar. So do you have a specific lens that you and the rest of the team looks through? Do you separate that person by person? Because even me personally, I'm trying to kind of reshape how I look at things, how I make videos, because I know with everything I'm doing, I have to limit myself to maybe one video a week now. And wow, that's hard right. in the world of tech. Yeah. There's stuff every single day. Yeah, it's so true. And drinking out of a fire hose is exactly how I would describe it. Like our media diets are so vast for so many people. And um, especially I think those of us who are working in the media world tend to consume so much that we lose sight of the fact that like not everybody looks at their internet the way that we do. Um, but for us, what? I you know with the newsletter. You're not scrolling Twitter for 12 hours a day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the newsletter, we try to, you know, it's it's written the day before. So we spend the afternoon before the newsletter would go out the next morning writing and, and curating. Um, and a big part of that is just being well-informed. So trying to read as many newsletters as possible to then decide what goes in our newsletter and trying to predict what's going to be the most important thing at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning is difficult. Um, and it's, I think, a, a skill that takes a lot of time to hone over years and months of, of practice. And luckily now we have a little bit bigger team that has gotten really, really good at that. And I think does a really great job of making sure that we're kind of drawing from everything to make sure that when you wake up in the morning, the picture of the world that you have is one that is broad and well-informed, but also we've put it all through a, a sieve. We have done the filtering for you. And I think that also helps create brand trust really effectively. Um, with the podcast, we, you know, it's twice a week and the themes that we're doing aren't necessarily breaking news. We want our episodes to have shelf life beyond just here's what happened today. So we really take that curation and, and thought leadership and tastemaker idea really, really carefully just because if we're asking people to spend, you know, 40 minutes on a podcast episode and five minutes reading a newsletter about that podcast episode, we want it to be really good. We want it to be something you want to learn more about or that you're excited about or that you maybe even hadn't thought about, but that's actually going to impact how you go about your day. Um, so it's definitely a big responsibility, but I, I think we've we've tried our best to live up to it. So you mentioned shelf life, and I imagine when you start a newsletter, that's probably in the back of your head because newsletters inherently are here one day and gone the next. Is that part of the interest and the coolness of a newsletter? Or was that always kind of in the back of y'all's head? Okay, how do we expand this to have the, you know, like you said, kind of the evergreen uh, life? Yeah. Because I'm sure with a lot of people in tech too, you cover one phone and then people don't care about it two weeks later. Right. So the, I think that's always in the back of, creator's head regardless of what they do yeah for sure I think it it is really dependent on the kind of newsletter that you're putting out with something like the daily newsletter from morning brew the goal isn't to go back to two months ago and look at a newsletter and say like well it still has legs it's to be like yeah. I was reading this two months ago and I have kept reading it and now I'm really well informed with the podcast newsletter it's a little different that's something like um, you know, a recent uh, newsletter that I sent out about like the future of education is going to last a lot longer. So I think knowing what your niche is and and being true to that and being true to what you want your audience to get out of it is really important. Um, understanding the audience, on the other hand, is <laughs> incredibly difficult, especially for like a podcast going to a newsletter. There are no demographics. Like it's really, really difficult to get information about your audience and um, it's mostly anecdotal. So at this point, it's a lot of experimentation. And I think 
think the same can be said for a lot of people operating in the media world right now. They're just trying and, and throwing things at the wall and seeing what, seeing what sticks. But when something does stick and you realize you've got people coming back for more, you've created that um, sticky behavior. It's awesome. And it works really well. And you can monetize it really effectively. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about monetization. Was that What was the number that Morning Brew hit? That, oh, okay, wait, we have some brands reaching out. Oh, wait, maybe we should consider our own ways of um, monetization. Because it's I don't, it's so strange. There's always this conversation of, oh, if your revenue is based on advertising, you're screwed. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's always a thing. It's not, that's yeah. not going to disappear. That's not going to, I do think there's an interesting world that's emerging of businesses becoming their own content hubs and yes maybe there's a world where they don't need to reach out to other people as much but people will always have an audience will always have value to exchange therefore advertising will always exist so (laughs) it's it's always going to be a balance I'm sure it it absolutely is and I think there's also a a really important part of this conversation which is not doing business with bad partners (laughs) like we are really careful about the kind of brand partners that we allow to be in the newsletter and on the podcast as well it's typically never a partner that we wouldn't work with outside of our life at morning brew that we wouldn't buy something from or that we you know don't have like a credit card from this company um i will say that they had monetized the newsletter well before i got there but there was definitely a, a pretty distinct shift as the newsletter grew in terms of subscribers um and got more attention of partners going from just being these you know, like startup-y kind of companies that could get ads on the cheap in a newsletter to the big like financial institutions and huge companies. Um, And it's, it's crazy to think about that sometimes that, you know, we have, have grown so much to attract that kind of ad attention. But I think it also speaks volumes to that philosophy of advertising that this is going to be part of our revenue model right now. And that's just reality. If you want a good product, you have to at some point monetize it. Um, And it's worked for us, but at the same time, we're a bootstrap company. We want to make sure that we have other ways of bringing money through the door. So that's been a, a big priority in the last six or so months. Do you guys not have VC money? No. Just Oh, okay. That makes me like you guys even more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because I don't know. You just hear about, you know, these huge, like the skim and all these yeah. newsletters and stuff raising so much money, which is fine. But I'm like, okay, well, what? literal scalable technology are you building that is going to return these investors billions of dollars it's just it's very interesting yeah to work in a a very profitable bootstrapped media startup is not (laughs) a sentence i I thought i would say (laughs) yeah no and that's so fantastic because especially right now you hear all of these stories of just people going under and you know people getting laid off and Maybe it's the fact that you guys were born out of, like you say, said bootstrap, you didn't have crazy funding, so you don't have thousands of employees that you have to then backtrack and figure out how to pay them. So I'm sure it is a different environment, but there we, we've seen that content is super valuable. We've seen that these podcast networks are being snatched up by Spotify. So even though I just said, I just alluded to a newsletter and content business being more lifestyle, it is a crazy amount of value. Yeah. And so with that, I mean, how, how do you guys see yourself expanding in podcast and video? And I saw one of your founders tweeted out like a like a casting call yeah. for a uh, for a person to host a kind of talk show. Yeah, vibe. we are actively growing just about every part of the company right now, um, which is a, a nightmare sometimes trying to hire people is 
really hard and I didn't know how hard it was until I started Mm -hmm. participating in it on this side of things. But um, yeah, we're, we're actively growing across the business and for the podcast arm right now, we are, are heading into a year of business casual. We started September, 2019. And with the success we've had with that show, we realized that we've got this machine that's working really well. How can we use that machine to create another successful show to invest in some other kind of brand that is offering our readers and our listeners something a little different, but something that still feels tangentially you know, on, on brand and on point with morning brew and our philosophy and our mission. Um, so that's what we're doing with the talk show. We're really excited about it. We have gotten incredible applicants um, for the job and are continuing to grow. And I'm sure this is the first new show of of many new shows that we will have in the coming months and years. Um, but the same can be said for, for our newsletter operations, too. We now have three industry-specific newsletters. We had none when I started. Um, and I think it, it, you know, not to sound like super high on my horse here, but this was all started by two college kids who just wanted to make a better product for their peers. Um, it doesn't, you don't have to have that VC funding to be successful and to grow a business. You just have to be really dedicated to the content you're creating and to hiring the right people and staying true to your mission that you started out with. Let's talk about the beginning. It seemed like it started, you know, very humble beginnings, like you said. And I read an article that a lot of the growth was from, you know, these kind of ambassador programs on college campuses and really word of mouth. And it's super sexy to talk about CAC and, you know, all of these things. But at the heart of it, if it's something that people love, that word of mouth is is huge. Right. And was that so that was like 100, 200 K subscribers. Where did the monetization happen? Because I imagine so maybe they're still in college. It's like a passion project. But hey, this actually has legs. What what was that switch that was like, this is real? Yeah. So our two co-founders, Alex and Austin, um, started the, the newsletter when they were at University of Michigan. Um, they just wanted to make something that was a better product than trying to pretend in all of your job interviews that you read the whole Wall Street Journal every day because nobody does that. <laughs> You're all lying. I did the same thing. I totally lied. Um, but we wanted, you know, they, they wanted to make a product that uh, people would actually enjoy reading and could get the same kind of information. That's how it started. They then just like, truly, truly hustled at at Michigan and went to all the classes and got people into this referral program, which eventually grew to be a huge, indispensable engine for growth for Morning Brew. Our referral program remains super robust to this day. It's just refer people and get swag, like get access to new content, get eventually like yeah. a sweatshirt. I think right now our, our highest level of referrals, you get to come to New York and we haven't done that lately, but we've actually yeah. had people who win a trip to New York to meet the team and hang out with us for a couple of days. And people actually do the referring there. They want to, they're incentivized by all of that. Um, but I love, that. I love doing incentives that isn't necessarily, people don't do it because they're nervous. Oh, I don't have $10 per customer per sign up to give to people. But if you build this community, right. people love you guys for you. And oh, a morning brew t-shirt. Heck yes. Yeah. There's, there's definitely other ways to do it. Absolutely. And you know, we have every now and then we'll do something like a MacBook pro giveaway or something like that but you're right it's people who are are committed to our brand and have bought into what we're doing who are sharing the most and that's super important to us it's an audience that we value deeply um but you know the the monetization happened when these guys took it full time they they realized after a couple of years that i think it was like two years and austin had just graduated and both of them had jobs in finance and banking and they both decided this could actually be something the Paid newsletter versus non-paid. Yes. 
are they like do you sign up for it and yeah do no, people pay for it all of our newsletters or are, they all free? Are, are free to get explain to me why you make that decision because right now a lot of people say hey i'm going to offer you the cream of the crop news and only you and like a thousand people are going to have it because hey it's a hundred dollars a month or something and to a lot of people you know maybe that is worth it if it is very industry specific and it is experts leading away a lot of uh you know these finance firms do like proper research as well to where they give like packets to people in their newsletter right. <laughs> um but what what was the decision to keep them free yeah i mean it's a, a really common decision to make when especially in these industry specific newsletters to to monetize them and instead of basing your revenue on getting advertising partners in there you're doing it you know with what's the thing a, a thousand true fans is really all you need yes. um and i totally believe in that i think it's just a decision what you want to do for for us our industry specific newsletters have definitely veered a lot more into original reporting than the everyday newsletter does that has changed as the company has grown we have more resources now so we can do more original enterprise type reporting but for the most part, we are curating and analyzing the news. Um, we're not breaking the news. We're not trying to get scoops right now. Uh, with our industry-specific newsletters, they do a little bit more of that, but it's still trying to make sense of the world around them. It's not, here's why you should pay for this scoop that you could pay for in the Wall Street Journal. It's, I read the right. Wall Street Journal story. I also read the Bloomberg story and the B of Business of Fashion story and the Vogue story, and here's what they all had in common or didn't have in common. Um, and so right now we think that that kind of product is better served with a, an ad revenue-based model, but... Um, I, I wouldn't say no to a, a paid newsletter at some point. I think that they still have a lot of legs. And it's it's true about the 1,000 true fans thing. And I think a lot of creators, especially those who are very vocal on Twitter, have seen a lot of success with that. And there's a reason for that. So what is the difference between a newsletter and people love to say Substack? And for me, I'm just like, okay, it's a newsletter you pay for. Or it's a... I mean, is there something magical that I don't know about this world of Substack? Because my entire Twitter feed is just like, Substack is the future. Yeah. <laughs> Forget a website, Substack. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I need you to break this down for me, Kenzie. So, What's the deal? All right, I'll do my best here. <laughs> I think that, number one, it's a huge trend right now. Um, everybody has thoughts. We just now have a lot more time to put them down in an email. Um, so I think that's part of why we are seeing so many people move over to, to services like Substack, which makes sending a newsletter really, really easy. It's like pretty turnkey. So Substack is just the company. Right. Substack is the platform. Oh, okay. So it's not like a... Spe okay. But people call like them idiot. like my my Substack. You know, like I right, subscribe right. to several Substack newsletters that people would say like, subscribe to my Substack, you know, but... So, no, because yeah, because when I hear that, I'm like, oh, it's like a new... Thing with email. I didn't know it was a specific company, yeah. specific technology. Okay, right, that makes right. more sense. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's it's a great product, and I think that not, you know, this is maybe my email background speaking, but people really have come to value the relationship that you have with a fan or a follower in the inbox a lot more than they used to. That is a pretty intimate connection. You're asking somebody to spend five minutes with you every morning or every afternoon or whenever you're sending your newsletter. It's a big ask. And if you can get somebody to buy into that and they're excited by it, that's awesome. And that you're probably going to have somebody for a while, um, especially in our experience when you want to interface with them, when you ask them to respond to the email and then you respond back, 
that's creating a lifetime fan. Um, and the, the value of that fan is only going to increase the more that you get. So I think that's part of this revolution toward uh, email newsletters is just creating a better connection, a more intimate connection with the people that you are usually like speaking at when you're just posting something right, online. Right. But with a newsletter, and everything you're is so to them. cyclical. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's emails and podcasting. And okay, well, podcasting has been a thing for over 15 years now. Email, you know, has been a thing. So I, I do enjoy seeing that everything does come back around and there's there's no better time to start than now because, hey, maybe, you know, five years from now, podcasting isn't the hot thing, but I'm sure in five more years, it'll come back around again. It, it seems like all of us is just all reinventing the wheel, but then arriving at a similar destination. Yeah, exactly. And if I had a dollar for every time people have told us that email is dead, yeah. I would have a lot of dollars. <laughs> you would have a lot of yeah. dollars. Well, what is that future of journalism? There's with that, a lot of people say, oh, you know, five years ago, all video, writing is dead. Mm -hmm. But I think you guys, among a lot of other people, have proven that's not the case. But then at the same time, there's a lot of, what's the right word? The, the world is kind of being rocked with people leaving New York Times, people leaving these publications that they've been at for a very long time, whether they're quitting or they're being fired. There's, there's just this sense in the journalism world that it's it doesn't seem as stable as it once did right right so what does that mean for the future of writers the future for people who want to tell their stories via the written word yeah i i would say to start i don't think that the journalism world has felt stable this century <laughs> like that's there's true. always there's maybe always that's some true. factor that is rocking us um and the future though i think is less about the medium it's about the person um we're gonna find a lot fewer medium specific creators is my thesis here you know back in the day you would go to journalism school and either you would study tv or newspaper or magazine and that was what you knew and that was what you would go make a career out of doing but i think now even in schools, you're studying all of it. I was a business journalism major, not a newspaper journalism major. Um, and you learn how to right. make a podcast, make a video, make a reel for yourself, write a newspaper story, all of it. Um, and even do like photo journalism and things like that. So I think that we're starting to kind of see the effects of that shift in the education side of things in the real world, in practice. And people are gravitating towards creatives. They're gravitating toward people whose names they know, whose content they love, whose brand they trust, regardless of where they're putting content out. So for Morning Brew, that's the Morning Brew brand. If we tell you to listen to this podcast, you're going to trust us because you love our newsletter um, and vice versa with the podcast. We've had a lot of people who have just found the podcast independently of Morning Brew. And now we're saying, can you go subscribe to this newsletter? And they do mm -hmm. because they trust what I'm saying when I'm on the show. Um, and I think that is honestly the future. It's less what medium is going to die next and more mm -hmm. what person is going to rise above the rest of the noise and give people something that's valuable and something that they want to keep coming back for. How do you guys balance that then? Building a brand that is morning brew and it's not Kinsey it's not Josh because um, there are different things that you have to do and there's you know pros and cons to both me Sarah Dici, oh that's great like my fans feel my I don't even well I haven't said <laughs> fans ever my fam feels like they have you know a connection with me but with that I it's very hard to scale yeah you know because everything has to be me 
so I think that's what's great about building a brand, you know, like Morning Brew or, you know, bigger, just CNN, you have, you establish some credibility and it doesn't matter who's talking to you, that lends itself to different um, yeah. platforms. Have you, what, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I hate to do this, but I'm going to use Barstool as an example. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you think about Barstool created a, a really sticky product. They created something that people were obsessed with. And then they used that machine with ad sales, with producers, with backup and infrastructure to then invest in talent that they thought needed to be amplified in some way. They're investing in people who might have a small audience, but definitely don't have a huge audience. And then they're magnifying them times a million, like to the moon. And that's a, a model that I think we're going to see a lot more of, this this sort of network model of um, here's somebody who's definitely under the radar but has the capacity to be a superstar. Let's give them what they need to be a superstar. We'll take some of the money, but this person mm-hmm. is going to grow their brand right alongside us as well. Um, you know, with Morning Brew and Business Casual, my, like, quote-unquote brand is pretty much, like, tied directly to morning brew and business casual and I like it that like that's been great and I have enjoyed it and I would never if I just started a podcast by myself probably wouldn't have been able to scale it to what it what business casual is today without morning brews backing um so it's it's useful it's um I don't know it works in theory and in practice I think and I think we're going to see a lot more of it what are your thoughts on keeping talent because we've seen it with BuzzFeed we've seen it it's not necessarily the newest thing building the machine right and creating these personalities, but somehow these personalities are too good to the point, hey, no contract can lock them down. I mean, I feel like BuzzFeed really built an entire generation of YouTubers. You know, we've yep. seen the Try Guys. We've seen all these people just dominate on, on the platforms. Is that, and we, you know, we've seen with uh, the recent Barstools drama. Oh, yeah. with the With the podcast and the breakup the, of those two girls. And, you know, it's... It's interesting. Barstool did a great job with writing the drama. I mean, I think when you have a founder with such personality, um, that's one word. And you for really, it. yeah, that's <laughs> one word. Um, you know, you can really do whatever you want when there's no rules. But how do you how do you have that balance? Building the machine, but also cultivating and keeping talent or maybe it's not possible. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's I think a risk that a media company has to be willing to take. There is always going to yeah. be a risk that somebody can walk away. But, you know, I, I think with the the Call Her Daddy story you're you're referring to is that was a great story. And I think that that was a cautionary tale. It was tale. so fun like to for, watch. Yeah, right? Like, I did <laughs> yeah. a tweet storm about it. <laughs> I can't believe I, my yeah. job is saying, like, yeah, no, go tweet about this show called Call Her Daddy. Um, I know. But, like, know. that was a, a great example, I think, for a lot of media operators. That, like, wait, I should probably get a contract or, like, wait, we should put this person in a contract. Um, And you have to be willing to take the risk. And you're right, like BuzzFeed is a great example of this. But um, for for BuzzFeed's part, they probably juiced a lot out of that person or that personality before they walked. Um, And in some cases, they definitely missed the height of the person's popularity. But in others, that's always going to be part of their brand. And that's going to be how they got where they are. Let's talk about building the machine. I'm always so curious. This is Everyone knows if they listen to that creative life week in, week out. I always ask, okay, but how? I'm one person, I have a small team. The scaling, how does one do that? I, I'm curious, what, how many writers, how many editors, what is the process of an idea? Um, because you're on a time limit, you know, you have what, seven hours to 
create the entire product? How many people are involved? What's the machine? What are the insides of the machine? Yeah. Uh, well, how the sausage got made has gotten a lot better yes. <laughs> since I started. That's good. Um, when I started. It's a journey. Yeah, that's, it definitely That's is. probably what. It, yeah. it definitely, definitely is. I think that the theme throughout that whole journey was slow and steady wins the race. Um, we have grown a ton in our editorial capacity in the last two years, but it's been slow. It's been, let's not hire someone until we feel we can really invest in them and give them something to do that's going to add to the product that we're putting out because we know we can make it with two people. It might not be as good, but we can make a, a viable product with two people writing it. That's what we did for the first year that I was at Morning Brew was me and our managing editor now, Neil Fryman, were writing, editing each other, like doing everything, content creation. Um, we realized that if that was possible, let's like not try and rush things. Um, we have a better work-life balance now, I'll definitely say. Yeah. Um, what is that? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no concept anymore. Um, but it it's definitely about like slow and steady hiring and realizing that you don't want to fully invest in someone, especially in a startup landscape where they're probably taking a, at least some risk joining the team in the first place until there's something for them to do. Um, so we have definitely increased our output as we've added more people, but it's been a, a really deliberate process. What is that hiring process? like yeah how long does it last it what are the questions <laughs> lots lots of questions um <laughs> well for you know for editorial it always starts with a writing sample that's always going to be the most important part of your application um you know it's great to say like i would really enjoy to sit next to this person for eight hours a day but if they can't do their job well then like that doesn't really matter so um always starts with a writing sample uh and then once we decide whether or not they're going to be a super strong writer or have something interesting or original to say uh, if they that's the answer to that is all yes, then we'll bring them in for in-person interviews. Well, I guess it used to be in-person interviews. <laughs> now it's uh, like a Zoom, Zoom interview. interviews um, <laughs> and have them talk to a couple people on the team, not just people on the editorial team, but people in ad sales or people in tech um, and make sure that people are getting that cross-functional side of things before they start. Uh, and then more writing and then they're hired. <laughs> I wish it were that simple. I wish that it was just that easy to go out and find well, there's I know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think anyone who builds anything, it's probably the most relatable struggle is you think, okay, I'll just, you know, have a few people that can replicate what I can do. But then you learn, oh, okay, that's way harder than you think. Yeah. And I mean, what you mentioned for better or worse, people have to be more multi multifaceted than ever before. If you are a writer, hey, you, you need to understand some context beyond that right you need to understand some video maybe some podcasting yeah there's there's a lot of things to think about and I, I also think that's especially true in the startup community that I work in um it's it's never gonna hurt to be the Swiss army knife kind of employee at any company that you work at but I think especially mm -hmm. at a startup you have to kind of be prepared to take on anything and to get excited by it um we have kind of been a, a super collaborative team from day one and it's been for the best um and I, you know that i think is when some of our greatest ideas happen is when we're all just like shooting the shit and, and trying yeah. out new things and um it's been great how do you keep that when you're not in the office with a ton of people it's hard anymore? i actually some I, my column that i'm writing this week that's going to go out after this interview is about how working from home, working remotely, distributed workforces dehumanize the most human and most important aspects of being in a workplace. You know, 
some of our best ideas, like I said, happen when we're just like hanging out. Um, and it's really hard to replicate that. Luckily, I have the kind of team with the podcast that I know that we're going to be creative and ask interesting questions of each other. And that will stoke new ideas all the time. But mm-hmm. you do miss that like, hey, uh, you know, CFO, what do you think about this one thing? And seeing what they say, like that's you're not going to be able to do that. So we rely a lot on Slack and on team outings on zoom and things like that but in terms of actually creating things that's really really difficult to replicate i would venture to say impossible i think these times god how many times i've said that i I need a new word has taught us that yes obviously distributed workforces and online tools are advancing at crazy paces and it's it's possible it is 100 percent possible so i think the next question is but do you want to do that exactly right And I think it's different for companies that do content. Maybe it's a little bit more creative. It's a little bit more collaborative. So what do you think that perfect future is? Is Morning Brew keeping their Manhattan office? Is it going to be more, okay, you come in three times a week and two times a week you stay home, you know, for 2021? Right. Yeah. Well, we are are fully remote for the foreseeable future just until things feel a little safer. But after that, we are going to be remote empathetic, which is a fancy startup way of saying if you can do your job remotely, you're allowed to do that job remotely um, for as many days as you want. And I think that there are certainly trade-offs with that. I'm obviously not the one making that call, but I think while number one, that is great for bringing in talent that's not just in the New York or tri-state area, it can also be a setback for content creators. (laughs) You know, like I am going to have to actively go out and say like, hey, developer (laughs) or someone on our tech team or something like hey what are your thoughts on this I'm just trying to get a a broader picture of what I need to talk about this week on the podcast and we definitely have the tools in place to do that like if ever there were a time that we all had to go remote I'm glad it was 2020 because tech is great and we have awesome tools but um, it's just going to change a lot of the way that we do our job every day Um, and certainly there are industries that that will be for the better Uh, I would not say that content creation is at the top of my list of industries for which it would be for the better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's talk specifically to the writers, the people, because I very rarely can talk to them. So it'd be great if you have any advice to, for the two people, there's two camps. There's one, hey, maybe they are in college, maybe they're not in college, they're trying to figure out writing and and working for a company or a news place, um, you know, and they're just starting. And I feel like there's the second audience that, hey, they know writing is their thing, but it's hard to monetize by themselves. You know, what do those two camps do? I would say for the first camp, the best writers are voracious readers. You are Mm. never going to get better at writing if you're not constantly consuming content. So whatever you consider to be your dream career, read everything that the people who are in that field are putting out. You will get better. You'll find your own creative space. You will find inspiration. Uh, I think it's really important. And then for the second camp, I would say don't try too hard to be a generalist in terms of what you're talking about. Uh, We have seen a a huge trend lately of people who are super, super specialists in terms of of media. And that, I think, is what creates an audience that is willing to come back for more all the time. We can get the general news for free from wherever we want. Um, it's like on our phone all the time. You know, we get a million push notifications right, right. a day. Um, but if you want to create something special and you you know that you're good at talking about this one thing, commit to it and it'll be great. I might, because I'm so out of it, these might be stupid questions, but when it comes to writing, are there certain 
whether it's YouTube channels, newsletters, any types of content that are specifically for writers. Because I know me, I watch so many video YouTube channels right. where I know every single new light, new camera, new technique. Oh, I need to interview people. The, you know, there's, I'm aware of that sphere, but does that exist for writers? Oh, who, yeah. who are people that you follow? For sure. So I, so I read a ton of newsletters every day, just general news, um, from the Times and the Journal and Bloomberg and all of those places. But there is one specific newsletter for anybody who wants to create a newsletter, and it's called Not a Newsletter. Um, it's written by Dan Oshinsky. It. It's uh, a fantastic newsletter that's sent out via email, but it's a Google Doc that you can see where people are and you can't edit it, but you can, it's like, oh, it's kind of fun. You've got a million like anonymous meerkats <laughs> looking at, at the Google Doc. Um, and it's awesome in terms of how to monetize a product what people are doing that's creative and new and exciting it comes out not super frequently so when it does hit your inbox we're like we're in our slack right away like oh man dan oshinsky no they're not a newsletter um that's a great one and for podcasts i'm a big fan of hot pod um which is a a classic podcast newsletter but that one's doing some cool stuff as well there's something for everybody (laughs) yeah hot pod is very uh industry you, you know, it's great. Like that news, if you know it, you know, you're almost subscribed to that newsletter. Yeah. And it's, it's great talking yeah, points, for sure. you know, to feel like you're like, on the oh, You didn't hear about the latest like blueberry deal or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, Joe Rogan actually sold for this amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do you think about that? We'll wrap, we'll wrap up with some current events. Sure, sure. Joe Rogan, Spotify, podcasting. You're obviously a seasoned podcaster yes. now. So, our podcast is available on all platforms. Um, I don't see that changing. I'm not going to mm-hmm. guarantee anything, but um, Spotify is eating the podcast world. Um, they have invested so heavily. Joe Rogan is just one example, but you think about all of the Spotify specific podcasts that we have right now. Um, you know, like Gimlet. Yeah. And it's, it's insane. It was, it, I think what started as Spotify buying all these small startups is now Spotify buying all the big talent. Um, and I don't see that stopping. I think they are so well funded. It's a, a fantastic company that's run by a very, very smart person. Um, and Daniel Ek can really the world is his, <laughs> do whatever his, the wants. world is his oyster <laughs> right now. Like he's got a yeah. great product that people are really passionate about, and um, it's a natural fit for me, you know, in, in my mind for them to go straight into podcasting. Um, do you like the Spotify app for podcasts? I personally don't use that. I still use the Apple <laughs> podcast app. Same though. But but it's because I like little my little ecosystem. Right. Spotify makes sense for music. That's the only thing it touches. And Apple Podcasts, even though the UI is kind of a nightmare, it's familiar and it's just podcasts. And they notify me. Yeah. I think the notifications are huge. Also, as a person who yeah. has a podcast, I'm like, please, can you send more all the time? Yes. <laughs> um, it, well, coming from YouTube... Yeah who doesn't yeah. notify people i'm like everyone subscribe on apple podcast yeah. it's the i mean at the end of the day like while spotify is investing super heavily and is is taking over a lot of top talent apple is still the one to beat right now um but like just like spotify Which is hilarious because the they don't even try i know yeah it's just it's this it's a it's something that's baked in we're never going to get rid of it on our phones because we're too lazy and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i think they also just kind of have like first mover advantage here this this podcast thing is still pretty new for spotify but for apple it's mm-hmm. it's old hat um and yeah. it works that's that's pretty much it. Like Apple reviews you know are the only ones that matter. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so strange that podcasting is still so insular. Yeah. I'm so used to the instant feedback of likes and comments on YouTube. 
And with podcasts, really, all you have are the reviews. Right. So which go is crazy because it's buried. Like, because the worst thing yes. is when people will only review shows that they don't like. If you like something, go let someone know. Yes. Please. So you, you guys heard it here first. In my voice. That creative life and business casual. Go there right now. Yes. Five stars review. Yes, it's important. And I, I think the the funniest thing that I learned that I had no idea the word like podcasts came from Apple in their iPod. Did you know that? I actually did not know that. Yeah. So it's they call surprising. it podcast <laughs> because it's on your iPod and it's a cast. Wow. It's a podcast. They literally invented the wheel. Yeah, good job, Apple. But yeah, it's been crazy to see all the, you know, this industry news. The fact, the more people talk about the Joe Rogan thing and the $100 million number, people are saying he earns $30 million a year on his podcast. So now they're saying it has to be even more than that if he signed away his life to a specific platform. He has to be getting more than he actually makes doing it on his own. Absolutely, And that's just... Oh, yeah, because that's a lot of money. I mean, like, even if Spotify walked in and said, we're going to make your life easier, Joe Rogan has enough people to make his life easier right now. Like, they yeah, were definitely, there was something that's on all top of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's very exciting to see. Um, and anything else that you want to put out into the ether about Morning Brew, yourself, the future of media, journalism? Yeah. We covered a lot of good we ground. We really did. Um, journalism is not dying podcasts and newsletters are the future especially when they go together um and go check out morning brew and business casual if you have not already yep all of the things will be in the show notes below make sure to check it out guys morning brew business casual i'm a big fan of uh the the podcast i am a huge listener of the audio so mm-hmm. it's been really cool to listen to just all the stories and having those people like scott galloway uh it's it's fun to hear people that you follow on Twitter because yeah. usually it, I just see them on my Twitter feed. So it's been, it's been fun. And to have a little bit more of a narrative around it, I do enjoy that. And, and I, I, I look forward to see the uh, newsletter that's going to accompany well, it. Thank you. Cause I think that's, yeah, that's what is going to make these people unique and people who have writers on your team. Yeah. I love having conversations with people, but when this ends, I, I can't write five paragraphs about a conversation, you know, but maybe I need to expand my team. You can do it. I believe in you. Build a machine like you guys. I'm inspired. All about building a machine. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, Kenzie, thank you so much. All of the things will be in the show notes below. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to things that creative life. And until next Monday, thank you for listening. Bye.